very heard, actually. Uh, now, it really is great to be with you, to see uh, real live people in front of me, at least I think you are, behind your masks. Uh, you don't have the opportunity of muting me or switching me off, uh, as so often congregations and audiences have done in this last year. But thank you for asking me to uh, address Hebrews chapter 7. I look forward to the time when I'm invited to preach at Grace and you ask me to preach on John 3.16. That would be much more straightforward. Hebrews chapter 7 is uh, probably one of the most complicated uh, chapters in the New Testament. And in a long preaching career, this is the first time I've actually uh, addressed it in this sort of context. Now, it happens to me, as I suspect it does to you, several times a week. The phone rings, you pick it up, there's silence, and then a very strange voice seems to be whispering from outer space. Uh, is that Derek Tidball? And immediately, I'm on alert, at least if you don't react like that. You get these constant phone calls that say, uh, you know, you had an accident. News to me. Uh, you uh, need to sign on again for this uh, amazing offer you can't resist. And uh, all you need to do is give me your bank details and everything will be sorted. And increasingly, we're asking the question, well, I'm asking the question, is this for real? Sometimes it's very difficult to work out, is this conversation genuine or is it a fraud? Many years ago, because of a position I held for a year, the phone rang at home one afternoon and uh, my wife answered it. I was out and somebody at the other end said, uh, this is the Prime Minister's appointment secretary. He wants to know whether you can come to dinner at number 10 Downing Street. Now, how would you react to that? Your immediate response is, which friend of mine is winding me up? To which eventually the civil servant said, oh, I do hate making these phone calls, Mrs. Dibble. Nobody ever believes me. But it was, on that occasion, genuine. Uh, not because I was anything special, but because of the job that I was doing at that time. Is he for real? Or is, is this a fraud? Is increasingly a question we're asking in an age of suspicion. Uh, I'm told it's very easy to uh, invent your identity online. I've no experience of doing so, you'll be glad to know. But to, be, to pretend that you're someone you're not Back in 2015, uh, Alexander Wood was sent to jail for a number of years because he'd been going around the country pretending to be the Duke of Marlborough, staying in very posh hotels and running up bills of £10,000 unpaid. Apparently, that was an exact action of the first uh, Faulty Towers episode. So he was actually living the high life, but as a fraud. We are bred for suspicion these days. 
Hebrews makes fantastic claims about Jesus. If you've been following this series through the book, you'll know by now that the great claim is that he is the great high priest. He eclipses every other priest and makes them redundant. He surpasses them all. And you might think, well, that's a bit old hat. We don't really go in for priests these days, particularly in more secular times. But actually we do, we just don't call them priests. We all have our counsellors and our personal trainers and our therapists and our life coaches. People that we need to draw alongside of and share honestly something of our struggles and our experience in order to help us through and help us out. And in the Jewish context, as in much of the world still, that primary role was taken by the priests who connected people to God. So it was quite natural for converts to Christianity in the early days who came from a Jewish background, who'd been schooled in Jewish synagogues, to think of Jesus as the great high priest. They'd have been so familiar with that. But the Jewish traditionalists thought, this can't be so. Actually, they made life for the young converts to Christ very uncomfortable. It wasn't just that they'd opted to choose another religion as we might do today in our society. It was that they had betrayed their whole tradition, their whole heritage, their whole upbringing, all their social network and relationships and probably business was associated with the Jewish faith. To proclaim Jesus, therefore, as the great high priest was a betrayal, betrayal of everything that they'd stood for. And early Christians were often persecuted as a result. And as we get to Hebrews chapter 7, so the traditional Jewish people were saying, ah, we've thought about this Jesus, and we can prove to you he isn't for real. You see, there's a key issue as far as they're concerned. It is simply this, that priests belong to the family of Aaron and the tribe, therefore, of Levi. Just as when we want to appoint uh, a new king eventually in this country, the lineage and family relationships of Prince Charles will have been tested out very carefully. So in the Jewish context, the question was, are you a genuine priest? If so, you belong to the tribe of Levi. You'll be a great, 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 whatever nth degree, great grandson of Aaron. But we know that Jesus didn't come from that family. He didn't belong to that tribe. And therefore we know that he's not for real. You can't claim that he is a great high priest. And as the writer to the Hebrews comes to that challenge, 
He says to them, hang on a moment. Look at your history. Think more carefully about the background to this. And you'll see, if you read your Old Testaments, that yes, the majority of priests came from the tribe of Levi, and eventually it all settled down that they were the great-great-whatever grandsons of Aaron. But if you know your history, you'll know that even before Aaron and the Levitical priesthood, there was another priesthood. And it belonged to this mysterious character called Melchizedek. So he says to them, don't come to the conclusion too soon that Jesus isn't for real. He is. But because he's a priest of Melchizedek from the regimental tribe of priests that descend from Melchizedek rather than from the tribe of Levi. Yes, Jesus is a son of David, not a son of Aaron. Yes, Jesus is from the tribe of Judah rather than the tribe of Levi. But that doesn't disqualify him from being a great high priest. So the chapter asks four questions, and I hope you're prepared for some hard work this morning. The first question is, so, okay, you mentioned this guy, Melchizedek. Who was he? Remind us about him. He's only mentioned twice in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 14 and uh, in Psalm 110. It only tells us a little bit about him. He was a, a priest that, Aaron, that, that Moses encountered on his way back from rescuing his nephew, Lot. And we're introduced to him in Genesis 14 as someone called Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Actually, his name was full of meaning. Melchizedek meant he was the king of justice, the king of righteousness, Mel being about leadership, and uh, Edek being about right, Zedek being about righteousness and justice. Oh, and, and he was located in uh, as king of Salem, the shortened version of the city that was going to become Jerusalem. Salem being part of the word group of shalom, of peace. So here, Melchizedek is introduced as uh, a real royal figure who combines justice, righteousness, and peace. Uh, and then in Psalm 110, it tells us a little bit more. You and I may not be terribly familiar with Psalm 110. But the amazing thing is that it was top of the pops in the worship songs of the early church. They sang it more than anything else. It's quoted over and over again in the New Testament. And it talks about Melchizedek. And it tells us not only was he a great king, but that he was also a priest. Now, in the ancient world, they believed, as we do today, in a separation of powers. Politics was there, and the priesthood was there. Just as for us, we have the government and we have the courts. But in this one person, unusually, 
Melchizedek was both king and priest. Oh, uh, uh, it just tells us briefly one other thing about him. Because it doesn't mention it in typical Jewish fashion. They built on the silence and they assumed it hadn't happened. What it doesn't mention is his father or mother or his children or grandchildren. He just appears from nowhere and disappears, as it were. He doesn't have a background or apparently in that sense a future. He seems to just be there. And says Hebrews, because that's so. We know that he is a priest forever. So that's who we're talking about. But let's ask the second question. So what did Melchizedek do? And according to Genesis 14 and, uh, and uh, Psalm 110, repeated here in Hebrews chapter 7, there were two things that happened. Firstly, he accepted tithes from Abraham. <clears throat> now, later on, the law said that it was right that Jewish people supported the Levitical priests by paying tithes, a tenth of their income. A law enshrined that. But that law wasn't in place when Abraham met Melchizedek, and yet instinctively Abraham gives as we give gifts to people who are greater than us. Instinctively, Abraham gives a tithe to Melchizedek. And Melchizedek, without blushing, receives it as if it's his right. And that's combined with a second thing that Melchizedek did. He blessed Abraham. So what, you might say? Well, simply this, it's very obvious Blessing is a one-way street in the Bible. Blessing always goes from the greater person to the lesser person. And here is Abraham, whom they all looked up to as the founder of the nation, the great patriarch, the one who received the promise of God and went uh, away from his home territory and formed the Hebrew people. They looked to him as the greatest and yet here's Melchizedek blessing him. So who is the greatest? So Melchizedek is in this amazing position. And Hebrews wants to tell us that Jesus takes his cue from Melchizedek and not from the tribe of Levi. Uh, but so what? Uh, maybe the traditional Jewish folks could say, that's all very well, that's a nice story. But that was then, and then along came Aaron, and then along came the priests of Levite, and they made Melchizedek redundant. So it still doesn't mean that Jesus is superior or acceptable as a great high priest today. And so Hebrews 7 answers the third question. In what way was Melchizedek better than, uh, the, the, than Jesus, uh, the, than the tribe of Levi was? Well, here it is. Uh, Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 11. 
Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under its people, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? If the tribe of Levi was sufficient, why were people still hankering after a better answer, a greater high priest, another solution? And it's all very detailed and it's all very technical. And you'll be glad to know we haven't got time to unpack it this morning. Go home and read Hebrews chapter 7. But actually, what Hebrews 7 does is to put nail after nail after nail in the coffin of the Levitical priesthood. It says, actually, the priests of Aaron failed. They weren't any good. It's all there. They were unable to remove sin. They took their authority from the law, but the law simply pointed its finger at people's failure and made them guilty. They were appointed simply because of who their ancestors were. They, unlike the most important positions, weren't in place because they swore an oath, as Joe Biden did when he became president of the USA a couple of weeks ago. That's regular, that's normal, that's understood. But the priests of Levi weren't in that category. They, they kept having to be replaced because they kept dying. So <laughs> the next generation was needed. And actually the sum total, verse 18 of Hebrews 7 tells us, the sum total is that they actually kept people from God rather than leading people to God. That's an amazing failure for a priesthood, isn't it? So by comparison, he says, think of the superiority of the Melchizedek priesthood. The model, as it were, for Jesus as the great high priest. He's able to save completely. That's verse 25. No stone unturned, no sin forgiven, no horrendous story that he's not equal to curing and healing. He's perfect. The law may just remind you of your failure, but Jesus is superior to the law, doesn't need it. Like Melchizedek, uh, he is eternal without ancestry, doesn't depend on whose child or grandchild or great-grandchild he was. Oh yes, and he was appointed by God, swearing an oath. What greater oath could you have than that? And he prays for us now. Not, as it were, just instantly praying for us before the throne of God with his arms outstretched. But actually his whole life and death, the offering of his life as a sacrifice, the acceptance of that sacrifice by God is a... Uh, is an intercession, is a prayer for you and for me. So when you think of it, Jesus really is the real thing. Authentic, genuine, 
the one great high priest that everyone's been looking for. Now, you may not be looking for a great high priest this morning. The issue that was raised here may not be your issue. I doubt whether you woke up this morning thinking, oh, Jesus didn't come from the tribe of Levi, so can he be a genuine high priest or not? But you may have other questions about Jesus. And I invite you this morning to test him out. (laughs) Just as Hebrews 7 tests him out with regard to the questions that they had in the early church. You see, why does Melchizedek matter? Well, let me read to you the end of Hebrews 7, verse 23 onwards. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently. It continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted in the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all, when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, the word of God, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Why does it matter? Well, because Melchizedek is the model of the priesthood that Jesus follows. Far superior to any other human priest or any other regiment of priests. He gives, says Hebrews, a better hope than they were able to offer. A sure one. They didn't lead you to God, but he connects you with God. You can draw near. He guarantees your salvation. You're not left wondering because he was appointed to bring about your salvation by God's choice. And he's never going to let you down. He's not going anywhere. He's not going to die. He's permanent. He's a fixture, as Melchizedek was. And he saves us, not just a bit, but to the uttermost, completely. There is no one bad enough that he can't save. And no one good enough that he can't save either. Whatever your need, he can be the great high priest for you. He's in a league of his own, living a life that was totally blameless. So when he offered a sacrifice, he wasn't doing so for himself. He had no need to, but he offered it for you and for me. And now, says though the end of Hebrews 7, he has triumphed over all and reigns unvanquished and unconquerable, unconquerable forever. So don't trade Jesus in. For someone who's a fake or second best 
He is the real thing. The great high priest. And if you don't believe me, then what I invite you to do today is test him out. Bring whatever your own particular question is. I guarantee there will be a solution. There will be an answer that leads you to see Jesus as the genuine high priest, the go-between you and God that you need. Come to him. Not just academically, intellectually test him out, but bring your life to him. Talk to him about those needs you have for a priest. Dump your problems, your failures, your issues on him. And trust him to be the answer and the cure. Not just by a quick decision, but by a decision to follow him and shape your life according to his teaching and his sacrifice. Is he for real? Yes, he is. Depend on it. Amen.